Hello and welcome back to Cover to Cover. This time we're making a series of podcasts about Shakespeare's Hamlet. And today we're focusing on Act One, Scene One, the very beginning of the play. The stage direction reads, Elsinore, a platform before the castle. It's night. It's cold. One of the soldiers says, uh, "'Tis bitter cold, and I am sick at heart." In these opening few lines. So it's night time. The soldiers are on edge because in the past few evenings, an apparition has been seen, a ghostly figure stalking across the landscape. Now, Elsinore, of course, is a city in Denmark, and it has a castle, a castle that was built, I think, in the early... 15th century originally it was right on the water's edge it was a castle uh, which was an important source of revenue for the Danish kings because they drew uh, customs dues from all ships that sailed up that narrow strait anyway what's important for us is that uh, as we stand on this battlement if we are one of those uh, two soldiers there initially. Perhaps we can hear the the waves lapping on the shore on this rocky coast below. We can probably hear the wind uh, rustling. Uh, we're up on the top of the castle battlements, walking around this big stone wall and this large fortified building. It's midnight. There's a certain chill in the air. It's a bit of cold and there's a certain fear in the, in the air as well because of what has been seen on the previous evenings. And we have these wonderful first four lines. Bernardo says, who's there? And Francisco, who is entering, says, nay, answer me, stand and unfold yourself. This extraordinary play Hamlet which is so crucial and iconic in Western literature and, and in Western culture which is to some extent synonymous with the development of the individual. Here we have this wonderful first question, who's there? Who is there? Who? What is your identity? Who are you? Who is there? What are your values? How do you define yourself? What's the purpose of your existence? Hamlet has a an absolutely marvelous speech in Act 4, in which he says, What is a man, if his chief good and market of his time be but to sleep and feed a beast no more? 
In other words, a person who devotes their time merely to eating, sleeping and drinking can scarcely be called human. And he goes on in that same speech, Sure, he that made us with such large discourse, looking before and after, gave us not that capability and godlike reason to fasten us unused. Again, uh, to paraphrase, um, if we have intelligence, if we have the capacity to inquire into the reasons for events, if we're looking before and after, if we're able to reflect on the past, if we're able to use our minds to project into the future, then these capacities must not be left to go moldy. Hamlet, in fact, uses this word to fast, F-U-S-T, to fast in us un unused. I absolutely adore this word. Uh, we don't use it in modern English, but you can feel its, its weight and heft just from the sound. And indeed, um, fast, fusty, um, musty, dusty. You can kind of hear that sort of reverberation in the word, to fast in us unused. The point is, of course, who's there? What are you, Hamlet? What are you, theatre-goer? Let's not forget that men and women, as seen by the heroic vision of the Renaissance, were capable of great and noble destinies. But here, on these chilly battlements with the wind whistling and ghostly things occurring. But inside that castle, inside the musty, fusty corridors of this castle, there is blood on the floor. There is traces of poison. There are spies all around Morality, from Hamlet's point of view, has been outraged. And in such a situation, the question is posed. How does one unfold oneself? What values can one reveal? What capacity, what godlike reason can one deploy in order to understand the situation and find a way forward. Hamlet will have to unfold and reveal himself and unfold and reveal a plan and a purpose. We know Hamlet has been a student. He has been away from Denmark. He's been in Germany studying at the University of Wittenberg, of course, a very famous university in Shakespeare's day, founded approximately 100 years before the play was written. But Hamlet, like Horatio, has been in Wittenberg and doing what students do. 
discovering new ideas, going to parties, getting drunk, no doubt, on occasion, um, going to the theatre. We know that he's a, a, a hugely interested in theatre and very much a connoisseur of what's going on in the theatrical world, even if in reality this is the theatrical world of London rather than that of Wittenberg. But he has been a student, and now he suddenly returned to Denmark where his father has died. His father has passed away. His mother has remarried rapidly, hastily, as he says, with his uncle, and he is ill at ease and somehow, once this ghost appears and reveals to him the murder, then he must find his way and chart a course. And of course, there will be various suggestions to him, both explicit and implicit, about how to act. The first and most obvious injunction will come from this ghost, this ghostly uh, apparition of his dead father, which will say to him, you must take revenge for my foul and most unnatural murder. And this is something that Hamlet will struggle with throughout most of the play. Is this injunction from his father one to be obeyed? Is it one to be respected? Is it one that can satisfy somebody with the intellectual scope of Hamlet? What we can infer from his father, already from this very first scene, Act 1, Scene 1, we're told by the soldiers that he went by this the ghost of his father, with Marshall Stork. Marshall Stork. Now, of course, the the verb stork is familiar to us in modern English from stalking, meaning the idea of following somebody with some evil intent or purpose. But here, Marshall Stork means more like a, a proud, warlike, warrior gate. Um, but we're told also that his... Father's spirit had it on his armor, and again, so martial armor. This is a soldier. This is a a man who is at home, and his natural element is the world of combat and war. We're told that he was frowning, and very much this ghost seems to us as a a, a strong a. a aggressive, aggrieved figure who is asking Hamlet to accept a certain role, to accept a certain identity. And isn't this exactly what happens so often to young people, that the family, in a sense, creates a role and identity for them, a role that they may often struggle to reject? At the very end of this first scene, Marcella says that the ghost faded on the crowing of the cock. When the, the cock crew, <laughs> when the cock made that rooster sound to welcome the morning, then the, the ghost faded away. And Marcellus 
uh, equates this with a Christian idea about how when we are close to the period of Christmas, then um, evil spirits can have no impact or effect or hold on human life. But note that Horatio replies to him, so have I heard and do in part believe it. A polite way of saying that, in fact, he has no belief in Christian myths. And indeed, Shakespeare, of course, is famous to us as a dramatist who had no religious faith. And, of course, in this play, just as Hamlet must resist the injunction to revenge of his father, and which he does in a very confused and passionate manner. So, of course, he also rejects explicit Christian approaches to questions such as these, although he does, as we will see, come to some kind of belief in, as he puts it, a divinity that shapes our ends, rough-hew them how we will. Now, one of the things that we'll look at in, in the series is what we might call some of the intellectual background to the play, and in particular, Shakespeare's reading of a very famous French author called Michel de Montaigne. Mm-hmm. 